This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. We're going to continue in our study, pick up where we left off last week, and uh, I pray that this has been a blessing to you. All right, so we're going to continue tonight with 2 Peter, and uh, I'm going to pick up tonight with verse number 16. Uh, We left off last Wednesday night with verse number 15, and so um, let's get into the Word tonight. The Bible says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In this particular verse, Peter includes three incredible truths. All right, so I want you to look at this tonight, beginning in verse number 16. Peter obviously is the writer. He's the one that's bringing these things to light. And he said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He's saying that we have not followed the Lord Jesus foolishly, ridiculously. He said, and he uses this word fable, so that word also means myths. And here's the thing that all of us need to be so thankful for tonight as a born-again believer. You know, we open this Bible, we believe it to be the breath of God. We believe it to be the very Word of God. And uh, we do not look at this book like many people on this earth do as if it were only but fables and myths. I cannot tell you how many times I've witnessed to people, and in the course of that witness, they have told me, well, I don't believe because the Bible was a book written by men. Well, in essence, that statement is true. God is the author, and God as the author, he did use men to pin down the sacred scriptures. However, the difference is that the men that he used were under the inspiration of the Spirit. And I'm going to show you that passage here in just a moment. But Peter is giving us the blessed assurance that what he is teaching and preaching tonight, what he has presented to us in the inspired Word of God, is not fables. They're not nursery rhymes. This book is not given to us in the form of entertainment. Uh, Peter is writing, and then notice this, he is right. When we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses. So Peter is writing from firsthand knowledge. This is incredible. And in Luke chapter 1, we can find a testimony of being an eyewitness uh, of the Lord and his wondrous works as well. But all of the teachings and doctrines in this book, they are all very sobering facts. They are true. This book happened. This is, this is a book of faith, but we believe by faith that everything in this book is true. In fact, the scripture that I want to give you is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. And this is, this is probably one of the most important passages that you as a believer need to know. You need to know this verse. It says all Scripture, not some of it, not most of it, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that it is God-breathed and is profitable, all of it, for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Okay, so this gives you the value, the importance on the Word of God. It is so important that you know that it is the breath of God, all Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books. Now, the thing that I want you to notice also here is Peter emphasizes, he said, I am an eyewitness. He said, all of us, he said, uh, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so Peter, he knew all the things that he was writing about because he was an eyewitness to most of it. And that's, that's incredible. That's a very important testimony. It's a credible witness. In verse number 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now we're familiar with this and uh, I'm going to give you a little bit more scripture about this in just a minute. When you, when you read this, and I'm going to put verse number 18 with it because there is a very important connection with it. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. Again, Peter is emphasizing that he was an eyewitness. He said, when we were with him in the holy mount. So I'm going to teach you a little bit about this passage tonight, and I hope you get this truth. Peter is declaring that he is indeed an eyewitness to it all. He said, I saw it and I heard it. And he's saying, therefore, I'm passing it along to you. Now, the Holy Mount in this passage of Scripture, verse number 18, you look at the latter part of verse number 18, that's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And you might want to write that in the margin of your Bible underneath the words the Holy Mount. That's what he is in reference to, the Holy Mount. He makes a very uh, important statement here, something that we are familiar with early in the Gospels. But he says, and this voice which came from heaven, we heard, notice that, we heard it. Peter is saying, we heard this, it was an audible, it was an audible voice. When we were with him in the Holy Mount, Okay, so the Holy Mount is in reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me give you another scripture here out of the uh, Gospels, Matthew chapter 17. I want us to look at verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And so everything about this experience was overwhelming to Peter. I want you to imagine him hearing the voice of God audibly. That's what verse number 18 says. But I want to give you something very, what I think is intriguing and amazing about this Mount of transfiguration story. And it's probably one that uh, is not well preached uh, in, the, in the earth today, but, but I believe it shows the Father heart, the compassion heart of God. 
Because this whole Mount of Transfiguration thing, all right, so we do know, we just read the scriptures that uh, Jesus had with him, Peter testifies, he says we were with him. So he has Peter, James, and John with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Keep that in mind. Do you remember when in the Old Testament, and this, this is a little hard for us to understand sometimes, one of the difficult things for us to understand about God, because we know the Scriptures, and I just used it Sunday, the Bible says His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes we don't quite understand God and why He works the way that He does. And this story that I'm going to reference here is one of those premier illustrations. We, we understand the, the roller coaster type of relationship that Israel had with God in the, in the Old Testament. I mean, when they, when they were plugged in with God, they were serving Him with all of their heart. And then when they decided they were going to worship or serve other gods, they were as far away and wicked as they possibly could get. So the relationship with Israel, it was up and it was down. It was up and it was down. And we saw God in his long suffering and his patience constantly wooing the children of Israel close to him, beckoning them to come. And sometimes they would and sometimes they wouldn't. And we see Israel in a situation where they were in Egyptian captivity for over 450 years. God sent Moses, delivered them from Pharaoh's palace from Egypt after the ten plagues, carries them out of the palace and they begin their journey and you know, no sooner than they were set free, they begin to murmur, gripe, and complain. And they even begin to accuse Moses and say, listen, this is terrible. You brought us all the way out here to die. We, we were much better off in Egypt when we were making bricks for our taskmasters. And so they got to the place when Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and Amazing how these people talked Aaron, the brother of Moses, into making the golden calf. Not only did they convince Aaron to do this, we don't know where he's at, Aaron. He's been gone for a long time. As far as we know, he could be dead. So make us a God. Make us, make us a God we can worship. And this is one of those hard things how we, how we can wrap ourselves around it, that Aaron did it. I don't know why he could not have stepped up like Nathan the prophet when he confronted David and said, thou art the man. I don't know how or why Aaron did not have enough boldness within his spirit that he he should have. He We, we would have hoped that he would have pointed his finger in all of their face and speak like Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve Jehovah God. But he didn't do that. In just a short amount of time, a few days, Aaron was convinced or he was uh, coerced or he was encouraged to make this golden calf. He did. The people are naked dancing around this calf. Moses is up on Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down the mountain and he sees all of this stuff. 
Now, you have to remember something. Moses, from the time that they left Pharaoh's palace, he was putting up with a lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining, a lot of heartaches. I'm sure he probably thought, if not said the words, I told you, God, I wasn't the man for this job. Maybe he said, you know, God, I told you you had the wrong Moses. Maybe he said somewhere in private by himself when he cried himself to sleep at night, God, I told you that I couldn't speak, I couldn't do this, and now look, you've led us out here into this wilderness, you've led us out here to this barren place, and and God, these people are fussing like cats and dogs among themselves. I'm getting so fed up with it, I can't hardly take it. Here's the thing. Moses and his frustration, when God told him to speak to the rock, to get the water, you remember the story? You remember what Moses did? And his anger and his frustration, he ultimately struck the rock. And the rock was a type of Christ. So in all actuality, because the Old Testament is a book of types, preludes of things to come, when Moses struck the rock, he was basically striking a type of Christ. And God said, okay, because you've done this, I told you to speak to the rock, you have struck the rock, and you have struck it in anger. God said this. He said, because of that, you're not going into the promised land. Now, when you follow the steps of the Israelites from the palace of Pharaoh to that place, from this place to this place, and you you read everything that Moses had to deal with, Everything he had to put up with, getting all of these Jews out of Egypt, getting them to this place. I mean, it it was unbearable. An an everyday person couldn't have done that. They had to be empowered by, by the power of God to do it and inspired by him. But here's the thing. Moses, as he led these Hebrews out of captivity, and you see all of the heartaches that he went through with them. And now he's at this place of frustration. We understand human frustration and aggravation. We understand that all of us have our breaking points. All of us are not the same, by the way. There, there, is, there is a breaking point within all of us, including myself. Some of us are able to endure more than maybe this one or that one. Um, it doesn't mean that we are uh, built of different steel, so to speak, but we all are different. We all have different personalities. We all respond differently to things. We all have different gifts, different callings, different talents. So we're all different. All of us have a breaking point. God knows where that load limit is in all of our lives. He knows And there is a scripture that says that he will not put anything on us too heavy that we cannot bear. So even though there are times in our personal lives that we feel like we are going to collapse, we're going to cave in, we're going to, uh, that this is the end. God knows that within each of our lives, there's just a little bit more spunk, a little bit more push. And with a little bit more praying, God has always provided a way of escape. That's what the word says. So in this point of desperation, 
and Moses strikes the rock, we see God enacting, invoking probably one of the most harshest things that he could have done to Moses. Now, we, we say, well, God, why didn't you give him 10 extra days in the desert? Why didn't you make him walk around those trees another dozen times? I mean, why, why didn't you let him starve a little bit longer? But God, come on, God. I mean, you're not letting Moses lead these people into the promised land? I mean, there is, a, there is an Old Testament word. It's called Kadish Barnea. When you read it in the Old Testament, Kadish Barnea, we read it often. Brother David's referred to it several times. Kadish Barnea really is, uh, the interpretation of that is the door of the promised land. So Moses leads the children of Israel all the way up to Kadish Barnea. He leads them all the way up to the promised land. Then they begin to wander. And then Moses strikes the rock in his frustration. And so God says, you're not going in. Now think about, if that's not the cruelest of punishments, and we step back sometimes and we say, God, this is so hard to understand. You, you led him all this way across the Red Sea and all of these problems. You took care of it. But this one thing, God, this one thing, he's, I know, but he was aggravated, God. He was aggravated. God said, you're not going in. And so sometimes when you read a story like that, you step back and you say, that is just so unfair and unkind and unmerciful and uncompassionate of God. But this is what I have come to know in my personal study of the scriptures. When I came across this for the very first time, it, it blessed me with a holy chill. Because if you remember, even when Moses died, the word says that God himself buried Moses. Back in the day, God did not let him in. He did not let him walk through Kadesh Barnea. He did not let him walk into the promised land with all of these Jews. However, and we're talking about right now in this passage of Scripture where Peter talks, he refers to the Holy Mount. The Holy Mount is the Mount of Transfiguration. There was a cluster of people on that mountain that day. Yes, it was Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. But who was with them? Moses and Elijah. Now, if you don't know by now, let me enlighten you that the Mount of Transfiguration is right in the middle of the Holy Land. You say, what is your point, preacher? I'm saying this, that in God's long-suffering and his mercy and his compassion, the scripture says they failed not. God did not let, and you can imagine Moses, he was saying, oh God, I want to see it. I, I, want, I want to walk in the glory. I want to walk in the splendor. If I could just kiss the flowers that you walk on, if I could just kiss the dirt. God said, no, you're not going in. But when you look at the story and you look at this holy mountain, you look at the Mount of Transfiguration, and there you see Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and then you also see Moses and Elijah. 
You say, what's your point, preacher? I'm saying this, that God, even though he said no back then, God allowed Moses to put his feet on top of the Mount Transfiguration. Now, when you look at that in great depth and detail, you understand, you can see the merciful, compassionate hand of God. God did let him in. He did let him experience that. And every time I read this passage of Scripture right here that draws my heart and attention to the Mount of Transfiguration, I think of this beautiful story, and I hope that you'll never forget it either because it's the truth in God's Word. So here in verse number 18, Peter's giving us an eyewitness account. Now look at verse number 19. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now this staggers a lot of people in their study. And this is a hard scripture, I think, for some people to comprehend and wrap themselves around. But let's look at it and then talk about it. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Wherein two, you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the dawn or till the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. All right? Now, here's the thing that I want you to remember. The mountain experience was an amazing thing. But the mountain experience was an exception to the rule. This is important. This is where we study our Bible tonight. This is where we really put meat to what we're looking at. And, and I hope that I'm teaching you something, not just giving you stuff that's going over your head and we're waiting for 8 o'clock to get here. I hope that you're studying with me. Study the Word. Because this mountain experience that Peter's saying, I'm an eyewitness, I heard him. We saw him. He's saying, and I'm passing this all down to you. I was there. Now, when, when the audible voice of God, and it spoke with the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan as well. But to hear the audible voice of God, Moses heard it when God said, take off your shoes from the place where you're standing as holy ground. People in the Old Testament and in increment times heard the audible voice of God. And then things changed. After the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, God began to move away from signs and wonders and audible voices. And so when Peter is talking about in verse number 19, we have also, look at this, I, you might even want to underline those words, a more sure word of prophecy. What's he talking about? Because hearing the audible voice of God was an exception. God doesn't speak to any of us today in audible voices. Anybody that tells you I heard God speak in an audible voice, listen, don't, don't believe it. Don't put any stock into that. God doesn't speak in audible. Now, can he? Can he? Well, the word says this, with, all, with God, all things are possible. And so the word says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, there, there are no boundaries and limitations to the omnipotence of God. Could God do it? Absolutely. Will he do it? He's not going to. 
That's not the way he works today. In the Old Testament, people required signs and wonders. And in the infancy of the early church in Jerusalem, they also were compelled and moved with signs and wonders. But as the church began to grow and blossom, the Lord chose a different path to communicate with us. We're not saved today. We're not motivated by our, in our faith by signs and wonders. The word says, now the just shall live by what? Signs and wonders? The word, the word says this, the just shall live by faith. So it's a, it's a faith walk today. And it, from the beginning, the garden, you remember God spoke in an audible voice to Adam and Eve. He spoke in an audible voice to Moses, the prophets. He spoke in an audible voice at the Jordan. But God has chosen a different path, a different means of communicating with us today. So when Peter says this, he said, we were eyewitnesses. We heard it in the Holy Mount. He is saying this, that that was an exception. But it also says this in verse number 19, that he has access, that we have access to a more sure word. And what is he in reference to with this statement? Look at it very carefully. And we have, notice this, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He is say, saying we have something that's more sound, more firm today. Because what we heard in the Mount, the Holy Mount, that was wonderful. That was incredible. But that was an exception to the rule. And so what he's talking about here is because he's emphasizing God doesn't speak in audible voices today. God can still work miracles. Any miracle that God has ever worked, he can still work. But he has chosen to speak in different ways than on mountaintops to you and I. But let me say this, that even in the word, God declares that he has, he has chosen the just shall live by faith, not by signs and wonders. Let me add something tonight. The more sure word, this is talking about the word of God. This is how God primarily speaks to you and I today is through the word. Now, God can speak to us through prayer. God can speak to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God can speak to us through circumstances in the world, things that are going on in our life. God can use another believer to encourage us and to uh, speak to us in ways that compel us in directions and footsteps that we need to take. But he is not going to speak to us in audible voices. So don't wait for the middle of the night to where you have some type of spooky experience with God. And then you know that it's God. That's God, not how God's going to work. And let me also add this. Talking about the sure word, the more sure word. It's, and that's talking about the more, look at that, sure word of prophecy. That's talking about the scriptures. Now let me say this about the scriptures. There are no missing books of the Bible. You can get on Google and you can probably find different versions of this analogy, but there are people that believe that they have found the lost books of the Bible. There are no lost books of the Bible. We have it complete, all 66 books. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, first of all, there is a scripture in Psalms 119, verse number 89, 
And this is what the word says. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I had somebody to tell me one day, he said, in the latter days, God would work outside of the realms of the Holy Spirit. God will work outside of the boundaries of the Bible. Well, that's a lie. He will never work outside of his word. The Bible says forever the word is settled in heaven. But there's another astounding passage of Scripture. And you have seen where I have called your attention to it on many Sunday mornings in the past. But I want to give it to you tonight. It's Revelation chapter 22, and I want to read verse number 18 and 19. It looks like we're going to have to close right here tonight. It's 8 o'clock. We need to press on. But this is what John is writing on the Isle of Patmos. He says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Peter is also in reference in verse number 19 to the prophecy of this book. He's talking about the Holy Scriptures. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Let me close by saying this. In modern times that we live today, you would be surprised about the different varieties of translations of Scripture. And I have people asking me all the time, which is the best one? We use the King James. Why do we use the King James? The King James is, well, because we have one preacher. And I preach and teach out of the King James for several reasons. One, it's the book that I grew up on. It's the book that I have memorized. In my opinion, it's the book that's complete. The King James, when you, the difference between, in fact, the one that I have here tonight is a 1700 translation. It's the King James. When King James translated the scriptures into English in the year 1611, and I do have a 1611 on my desk. The difference in the 1611 and the one that I would assume you, you have tonight and the one that I have would be something like this. When King James translated the scriptures from the original Greek and Hebrew into the English language, when he would come across a word, I'm just going to, I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one simple illustration. When he would write the word, for example, music. I love music. But the way he would write that into the English language, he would spell it like this. M-U-S-I-C-K. Now, we don't spell music like that anymore. That's what they call the Elizabethan type of writing and language. That's the way they spoke back then. But So King James, when he moved from 1611 with that translation, and then, by the way, let me say this, that when you find a word in italics in your King James, it was put there by the translator. That wasn't in the original Greek and Hebrew. You have to remember that. But I love this book. 
I treasure it. I believe in it. I believe every word is inspired. We'll get to that next week. Possibly it's infallible, and I have several things that I want you to know about this book. But you have heard me preach many times that when we get to the place where we're taking verses, because let me ask you the question, and I said this 30 seconds ago, how could I ever get to the place where I am so spiritual that I'm going to rewrite this book and help the Holy Spirit say what he did not say, what he could not say, when the psalmist said it was settled in heaven forever, how can I ever get to the place where I'm so spiritual that I can take words out of this book? I can add words to this book? Because when I take words out of this book and when I add things to this book, then what I'm inserting is my own private interpretation. And the word clearly speaks against that. So what I have to do, what you have to do, we have to take it just as it is. We cannot add anything to it. And I will tell you tonight, for example, if you have an NIV in your hands tonight, listen, I'm not going up and down these pews and throwing stones at anybody. Those of you that are watching by internet, I'm not doing that either. But I will tell you, you don't have the complete Word of God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can get yourself a, a NIV and go home and look up Mark eleven twenty six and see if it's in there. And what that verse talks about is this, that if you don't forgive your brother, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. Now, is that an important verse? It certainly is an important verse. That verse doesn't exist in the NIV. And I could give you another scripture, Colossians 1, 14. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. That's not what the NIV says. You've heard me preach many times that we're only saved through the power of the blood of Jesus. It's in Christ and Christ alone. So when you take out the, the, the doctrines of the faith, the cardinal doctrines of the faith, take out the virgin birth, take out the blood atonement, it's, this is worthless without that. So we cannot add anything to it. We cannot take anything away. We have to preach it just as it is. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.